is an absolute pleasure to be joined today by the one and only Matt Parker. Originally a maths teacher from Australia, Matt now lives here in the UK. He's a stand-up comedian, a number one best-selling maths author, and will describe himself as a person who makes videos for the internet, with almost one million subscribers on YouTube. So with so much to fit into this episode, you might want to grab a pen. Let's get started. Parker, it is a complete honour to have you as my guest on this episode of The Right Angle and I am sure we're going to have so much fun and but first of all I just want to thank you so much for spending and sharing some of your very very precious time with me today. Oh Nicola my pleasure always always happy to talk maths education I take very very little uh, encouragement to do that. Brilliant. Oh, me too. And it's, I have to have these parameters, otherwise I could talk about it forever. Otherwise we'd be uh, talking for hours. Um, so in all of the previous episodes, I think we've got some regular listeners now that know I love a, an icebreaker uh, just to get things going. And seeing your incredible pictures on social media over Christmas of your gorgeous Labrador. Oh, I'm a fe fellow. Lab, <laughs> yep. Oh, Skylab. Beautiful. Um, I'm a fellow Labrador parent. Um, and my gorgeous Rupert is 11 months and causing all sorts of destruction. So my question to you today is, what's the, the highlight of destruction of your um, beautiful, beautiful Labrador? You know, has it been, uh, you know, a washing machine or a phone? Yeah. Or <laughs> what's happened that sticks out? Yeah, and I mean, my dog's almost exactly the same age. Skylab is 11 and a half months. So pretty much the same level of the same destructive stage as Rupert. And the <laughs> photos over Christmas were it was like Skylab's first Christmas and just the sheer amount of socializing for such a relentlessly friendly, energetic dog. She had no downtime. And so I shared a photo where she finally just collapsed at the end of the day, just um, overdosed on socializing and then passed out in front of the fire, which was pretty adorable. But we've got off quite lightly on the destruction front. We've very rarely come into the room, like we very rarely heard strange noises and walked in to find her dismantling furniture or something. We had a few decoy electrical cables we had out early on, because we figured we got to train her to not eat wires. And so she chewed through a few unplugged network cables and that kind of thing before she got the hang of not doing that but twice twice she has taken maths work i'm doing off the table and run off with it and that's partly my fault because i was working on a coffee table so i sat on my sofa just doing you know like just you know casual working out maths on you know i had sheets and sheets of a4 paper uh, and partly, you know, the math's fault, because obviously it's so, so alluring, and, and slightly the dog's fault. But I felt bad because, like, that's the cliche, like, the dog literally ate my homework <laughs> when I was working on maths for a video. And I was like, man, I've got, I think a lot of students I owe a, a retrospective apology to for not <laughs> believing. And here I am literally wrestling my homework back from a dog. So, so to love... answer your question, the most cliched thing possible the maths homework. Do you know how hilariously ironic that is? Because I had exactly the same thing. Happen. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd popped out 
to literally, it was literally another cliche. I popped out to get milk. I'd been gone 20 minutes. And yep. when I returned, my dog had jumped up at the breakfast bar. So I was casually just scratching around, working on um, a, an MBA at the moment and left my notes on the breakfast bar, came back and my dog had ate. That he just That's incredible. Yep. And I, I did go into university the following day and told my lecturer that my dog had eaten my homework and I had the photo. It was just hilarious. So I love that they have that in common. So I cannot have um, an episode with Matt Parker and not talk about Christmas. Now, before everyone switches off, I just think I know we've just had Christmas. But stay with me on this one. If you haven't heard or seen, uh, I'm not sure that there's many people left that haven't, but the 500 LED Christmas tree, like it's up there now with becoming the most famous Christmas tree alongside maybe the Rockefeller Christmas tree. Maybe. But yeah. can you share with the listeners all about these levels of fame like did you think that this was going to be a thing um just a little bit of background i mean the videos the collective videos there's almost eight million views on this tree and it's all lights so maybe if you wait for size it might be the most famous christmas tree like yes proportionately per, per gram i don't i don't know um <laughs> Although, strictly speaking, I had to get a new tree this year. So last year, in Christmas 2020, oh, Christmas 2020, oh my yeah. goodness, the years, um, <laughs> I had a real Christmas tree, like a live tree, and I'd always wanted to program LED lights, because you can get these chains of lights where they can display any RGB color. So you can send them any combination of red, green, blue, and they will turn that color. So you've got, you know, you know literally thousands as an understatement of colors each LED can turn and you can control them individually. So if you plug them into a computer or some kind of processor, you can then send the signal individually to each LED and say, turn this color, turn that color. And then obviously you can do that quite fast. So you can get some very cool um, displays. Normally when you buy Christmas tree lights, they come with all this built in. Whereas I bought 500 LEDs um I, had to, I got them imported from china and they're just the leds and so i had to wire them all together i had to attach my own power supplies i had to program a raspberry pi to control them but this was it i'd wanted to do this for years and i was like well if not in a pandemic then when and so i finally did it yeah. i put a video out showing what i'd done and like from a from a math point of view i wanted to be able to have my tree calculating live as such the maths of how to display the lights. And so I um, calculated where they all are in 3D space. So I knew the 3D coordinates of every single light, which was an achievement in its own right. And then I would calculate using like, um, I was, I was actually behind the scenes, I was using matrices to do 3D rotations of the lights. So I could then have waves of lights going in all different directions in 3D through the tree, which I thought was a huge amount of fun. And I worked with another fantastic uh, ex-math teacher, Ben Sparks, who made a GeoGebra file, which demonstrates how this is working in theory. And that's freely available. It's linked under the video if people want to look it up. And then I threw the door open and said, if anyone else wants to send in code, I will run it on my tree. And uh, a, a lot of people did that. 
and then I made the video of me running that on the tree and that went viral. So the main video had like half a million views, which is good. But I mean, I'm very pleased with that. But then millions and millions of people watched me running other people's code, doing maths effects on my Christmas tree, which was deeply pleasing. And then this year, I haven't done it yet. I think the call has just closed. I've uh, People have sent in effectively spreadsheets, CSV files of effects, which I will now run on the updated version of the tree this year. So I like the fact this is my new Christmas tradition. I love it. You're like the Mariah Carey of Christmas tree lights now. Whenever anyone thinks of Christmas and yeah. Christmas tree lights, it's you. It's That's like, all I want for Christmas, this, yeah. <laughs> this is incredible. People are going to commission you to run particular programs for their lights you know i can see it now the rich and famous will want their christmas trees to be synchronized and coded <laughs> in a yeah. way. you're going to be the guy <laughs> i go to great lengths to not be a, a viable business so <laughs> i will uh, steer away from that it's <laughs> just incredible um i cannot wait for the next one i just it's fascinating as well to watch i mean i've watched that video a few times now the 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 one where you're running other people's code. It's just fascinating. You're just like, oh, is it going to work? Oh, where's the problem? Oh, where's great, the open it? break? It's just, it's addictive, isn't it? I, I completely get it. And um, this year, I updated the ability for the tree to auto-correct any LEDs where it's got the coordinates wrong. Oh, and to brilliant. do that, I had to use Pythagoras. That was very Amazing. exciting. So what oh. I'm hoping to do, and I don't want to promise this, if I can make the wiring robust enough, because I do these mass inspiration talks that Rob Easterway organizes. My goal is to be able to bring the tree out on stage, get students to just put the lights all over the tree. And then we use geometry and like Pythagoras uh, to be able to live compute where all the lights are in 3D and then run the effects. And so that's the dream. That is the but dream. Time, if, if, if any teachers ever need an example of an everyday use of Pythagoras, I <laughs> used it to, to fix the coordinates of the lights on my Christmas tree. I love that. Do you know what, though? I can see seamlessly linking to my next question and next topic about how how well this can go wrong, because I've been, you know, I t taught maths for 14 years at secondary school you know right year seven right the way through up to sending sending mathematicians off to to university and the best bits or the the way that i would love inspiring the students is when they get it wrong you know it's not supposed to go right every time and you only learn from things that go wrong so i can imagine and i really hope that things go wrong because the buzz in the room would be incredible around that which links me on to the infamous international bestseller, Humble Pie, um, which you obviously talk about, you know, mathematical mishaps and glitches. Um, and on a previous episode, the director of en Enrich, um, Dr. Ems Lord, we spoke about those questions, you know, you say about uh, ch children ask, when, when am I going to need Pythagoras in, in real life? And I was talking to her about, you know, why do I need algebra? What's in the, what's the, point of this I don't understand where I'm going to need this in real life and she was fantastic at giving teachers you know our listeners the tools and the information behind how to answer questions like that but 
this book has an incredible part to play in in those types of questions um so can you as the author of the this book obviously many other books but this book's just incredible but why did you write it why feel it was needed to be put out there and for teachers that are listening now heading into work or coming out of school today how can they use the the content of this book to help engage those you know those students that just need that little lift yeah because i mean for a start you may i only made four years in the classroom so you've got a full full decade over me um, and i do miss it and whenever i'm writing a book a little bit of my brain is still thinking how would i use this mm. if i was a teacher and so i remember back to the kind of the popular math books and things i used when i was teaching and i'm like how can this be useful and actually that ties in directly to how humble pie came about because my previous book things to make and do in the fourth dimension mm. i wrote that thinking if i was a teacher who had to run a math club what resource would I want? I didn't tell my publisher that, but that was in the back of my head. I was like, right, what's a bunch of interesting activities and investigations and puzzles and things that I could give keen students in a math club? And that, that book did fine. It sold well for a math book. It sold average for a book. And my publishers, Penguin, were uh, more keen on just how it sells as a book. And so they're like, right, for your next book, um, how could we reach an even wider audience? And so I thought, you know what? I can do two things at once here because I can both because I pitched to them a book where I talk about mass mistakes, things going wrong and then why they went wrong. And they were on board for that because everyone loves a tale of disaster. Everyone loves things going wrong to someone else. And <laughs> it was a really good excuse to then talk about the mathematics, which normally goes right the vast majority of the time and makes our modern tech lives possible i was able to dive into that maths uh, using the excuse of giving the background to explain why and how it went wrong in these very interesting situations but then i'm also thinking this will provide a bunch of answers of, of a certain type to the question why do i need to know this and what my kind of hope was is that teachers will be able to read the book and go through it and then there's a whole lot of stories in there like when people get geometry wrong um, someone accidentally uh, drained a lake because they miscalculated where to drill for mining and they hit a different underground mine and emptied a lake, which is just incredible. And that's because they got their triangulation wrong. Or when people do a miscalculation or they uh, aren't paying attention uh, on their working out. Or I also went into like programming and databases and engineering and all these things. And so hopefully it provides an arsenal of examples of if you don't pay attention and learn this then this can go wrong and obviously i mean that's not the full story when you're teaching because not every bit of maths we're teaching well for a start it's not going to be used by every student and not every bit is directly practically applied but for the bits of maths where some people will need it in their jobs and a, or a lot of us will need all the time there's a lot of stories about people who didn't learn it or made a mistake and the consequences of it. It is nice to see that these failures and, and mishaps happen to other people. <laughs> but I oh, like yeah. to think that, you know, we learn from that. That's how we feel yeah. we make, that we don't make those mistakes. Exactly. And a lot of people <laughs> get put off maths that I speak to and you, you talk to them a bit and you get a sense of they were always worried they always got it wrong or they didn't get it. And yeah. the problem with maths is, particularly 
school, secondary school maths is there's often a right or a wrong answer. And people got the sense of there was this always this right answer and they could never consistently get that right answer. And that's a real shame. And so what I also wanted to do subtly was just get across this idea of maths is about learning and discovering and solving problems. And everyone's bad at maths the first time they try something. And it's difficult to learn. You've got to work hard. And mistakes are just part of the process. And yeah. they're not part of the process to be avoided. They're there to be embraced. And so I really, you know, wanted, wanted to be able to go on about that at length for just over 300 pages. <laughs> and brilliantly so. And funny. That's, you know, it's not just one of those books that you, it's dry. It's funny. It's witty. So I encourage definitely to have this book on reading lists across secondary schools. Let's talk um, about Think Maths. And I also want to pick up on Maths Fest as well, because it's important to recognise, you know, there, there are different calibre of students. There are those that really struggle to get off the ground, as we've said, about, you know, falling in love with the mathematics. But also the school I taught at previously, the, the students there, they loved it. And the more maths they could get, the better. And if I could get them to go and see Simon Singh or any kind of show, they, they were really into that. So let's talk about think maths. Obviously, pandemic has not helped in any of these no. situations. But when it's back up, when we're good to go, what's think maths about and, and how can the teachers get their students involved or get themselves involved in think maths? Yeah, so a lot of this came about kind of organically because when, as I was leaving teaching, and I worked for a university for a while and did a bunch of other things, I have always enjoyed still going back and visiting and working with school students. And actually, that is sadly over the pandemic, that's the one thing I, I've missed a lot. But as other things like all my YouTube work and writing and, and performing in media and everything else has picked up, I've had less and less time uh, to be able to go and visit schools. And so, think maths was uh, my attempt to keep doing that and to training, like train up new uh, and young mass communicators who can do it as well. And so, so I think mass are, are people who can go into schools, myself included, and do sessions with students. And as you're saying, there's a variety of, of different needs. So I also work heavily with um, Rob Easterway, the author. And I remember, so Rob runs these mass inspiration shows and I was in the same, situation as you Nicola where I was teaching and I had some students I really wanted to send to a mass inspiration show because the talks look so amazing and it was that combination of enthusing and reminding the students why they want to learn this as well as here's possible careers and applications and things you probably hadn't thought about and I was able to sign off the school would let me send some of my I think they were year 12 math students but they wouldn't let me go and I was like, come on, they wouldn't, they wouldn't cover me to go along as well. I was so disappointed. And the kids, they came back raving. I'm like, no, I wanted to go. Uh, now, thankfully, I get to be involved. I'm not saying that's why I left teaching, but it has worked out quite nicely in that regard. Yeah. Um, and so this, but you're right, but there's, there's benefit to getting speakers in. And it's not just Think Maths, a lot of other people um, do this, getting speakers in to come and do sessions in the school, as well as taking them to shows like Think Maths and Maths Fest. And mm. it's weird teenagers well they appreciate scale and so for these shows we have hundreds sometimes up to a thousand teenagers in a theater at the same time for a math show and just seeing that many of their peers involved in a show at the same time and we put a lot of effort into making sure it's an engaging and exciting show it's not like 
fun and you know entertaining pointlessly like the maths is always the star and we're very adamant about that the teenagers get that sense of scale and there's nothing i enjoy more than either myself or another speaker on stage will we'll pass out they'll mention something about maths or how it's used or why it's important and you'll see in the audience you'll see teachers turn to their students and be like i told you i said that and you didn't <laughs> listen to me and now someone on stage is saying it and suddenly you're listening to them. And so yeah. my, my golden rule is, and we don't tell the students this obviously, that <laughs> the point of these shows is to empower uh, the teachers. Because what we don't want to do is shock and awe where the students go back to their lessons are like, why aren't our lessons like this? They need <laughs> to see the shows and see us as an extension of their teachers and what they do in the classroom. And we're on the same team. And I find I find that deeply, deeply pleasing. And then, you, as you say, you've got some students who are already super keen and some who need more convincing. And so the mass inspiration shows their their half day. We have a, you know, a host and three speakers and they're aimed at GCSE and sixth form students who are like middle motivation to high and, and they're a little bit more. I mean, uh, evangelical is probably the best word. They're, they're, we, we don't assume much pre-engagement and, and we try to, to take the students from there to be more excited and more motivated. Whereas Mass Fest is like an all day mass extravaganza. So it, it's a whole day. In for those shows, we assume the students are already pre-engaged. They're, they're probably sixth form students. And we really wanna show them new applications, new career options, those sorts of things. And so we're, we're trying to cater for the students who need more motivation and the students who are already motivated and just need an outlet and direction for what to do with that. And it's it's so it's going so well with so many options for the the teachers to get their students involved. It, you know, there's there's a lot of boxes here that, that you're there's something for everyone. Um, I, you shared with me, which I'm hoping you're allowed to share with the listeners. But there's some exciting news about maths. Oh yes. Yeah. And so I, I just, we've just confirmed this at the time of recording. So MassFest, we're hosting it this year at the Royal Institution, and it's great, but I'm, I appreciate not all schools can release their students from the timetable or have the budget to send them along to an event. And during the pandemic, we did a bunch of live stream shows where we had speakers basically phoning in from home to then uh, do a talk. And so we were able to get some funding from an organization called Jane Street, who are like a financial company, who are, who are very supportive of mass education. And their ulterior motive is they need to hire more mathematicians. So they're, they're keen for anything that it, it increases the pool of keen mathematicians they can then hire from. And so we're gonna live stream Wednesday, the 9th of February from the Royal Institution. We're gonna live stream the whole MassFest show and we can cover the cost for any schools who don't have the budget to pay for the live stream. Wow. So we're gonna bring in a bunch of cameras. Uh, we'll have a website where schools, the students can log in, they can ask questions of the speakers live on stage and they can interact that way. So obviously it's not the same as being in the room, but we're gonna try and get it as close as we possibly can. And so any school can sign up for free, any UK school can sign up for free at uh, mass dash fest.com and there's a link there for the live stream you sign up we send you a login for teachers a login for students as many as you want uh, they can log in on the day we'll have the talks available as like a catch-up service for a month afterwards so don't panic 
if it doesn't quite line up with your timetable, um, the resources will be there for a month afterwards if people want to see it. So I, I'm hugely grateful to Jane Street who are covering the costs uh, to make that possible. And hopefully it's useful because I know as a teacher, convincing senior leadership to get students off timetable and to pay for things were two big blocks. And so hopefully this way, it's free for schools who don't have the budget. If you do have the budget, please pay. It's very expensive. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, it, you can watch a bit live on the day and then you can still catch up with the rest afterwards. So it's the first time we've tried this. I would love to hear feedback from any schools or teachers who, who use it and uh, try it out with their students. Do let us know how it goes, because if we can make it even better for schools in the future, that would be fantastic. That's just incredible. And actually, just in the current situation where, you know, schools are, you know, money's always tight and they're scratching around for those extra hours because of lost learning. And, you know, maybe they're thinking, oh, it's not a priority. We can't afford to send you away. And, um, you know, we need you in class learning. Um, this this is just a great strategy, isn't it? To just make sure that happens. Um, actually, while I'm mentioning three things. Yeah. Just just for the record, any of the actual physical shows at the RI. So we're there on the 8th, 9th and I think 24th of February. Some of them are so far on the 25th, 8th, 9th and 25th of Feb. Got to double check. Any yeah. teachers who want to come along can come along for free, um, even without students. We don't mind if you can convince the school to let you out. Teachers, you are very welcome at MassFest. There's no cost as long as you can get yourself there. Um, we'll sit you at the back of, of the uh, of the Faraday Lecture Theatre and you can come along and get involved. Uh, very happy to do that because we appreciate how difficult it can be to do paid um, training. So if, if you can get yourself there, you can come in for free. However, we will, students have to pay because we, we got overheads, but teachers, we'll get you in, no worries. That's amazing. That's so good that you're doing that. Um, and I knew, you know, MathsFest and the, the the books and Think Maths, I knew that this episode is going to just be brimming with everything. So I'm sure that listeners are just going to have to listen to this multiple times to make sure they've got everything. And actually, um, while, while I'm here, I, I, I forgot to mention the other thing with Think Maths was when I was a teacher, I tried to develop like one new resource per class per term because I never had as much time as I wanted to develop resources. So on ThinkMass, we try to put up as many free resources for teachers to use in lessons as possible. And we, we had to dial this back during the pandemic, but we try and have free resources for all my YouTube videos and they all go on ThinkMass as well. So if you're ever looking for any potentially useful like extension and engagement resources, if you go into ThinkMass, they're all there free to download. And as always, please do let me know if they're useful, not useful, what you'd change, because we're just doing it because we think it, it's, it's helpful for teachers and we yeah. would love to know how we can do it better. Yeah, and that's that's so useful because, you know, I speak to teachers all the time across uh, across the country and they just don't have the time. You, we have the passion. We, we want to create. Yeah resources but you just once you get in those doors in the morning you just hit that running treadmill don't you and you're kind of thrown out at the, the other end of the day and then before you know it a term has gone by and then another year has gone by and you you just uh, think, exactly yeah I haven't done so what I wanted to do if we can help and do some of the work in putting these things together then we absolutely will 
absolutely we share that that drive I, I do the same here at Pearson you know if there's if there's something that I can put together if there's someone that I can get to to help create stuff to take that burden off of the teachers then I'm all for that um we've talked a lot about um the stuff out there for students but I just quickly um looking at time we're rabbiting away here I hope I oh, hope yeah. it's <laughs> useful to everybody but I love maths jam it allowed me to get my geek on um, with other like-minded nerds. Um, and I just, I'm not sure if it's, you know, if, if everyone knows about Maths Jam and again with the pandemic, um, you know, what, what's Maths Jam all about? Let's let everyone know. Yes, the Maths Jam came about, again, as everything I do, there's, there's the main reason and then, then there's me thinking, how is this useful for teachers? And part of where someone, I forget who it was, I might've been at a CPD day or something, and someone pointed out what would happen if all the teachers showed up at school and suddenly like there were no students and you just got a day to fill. And they described how the art teachers or the DT teachers might be like, oh good, I can go work on my own art or projects or building or whatever I'm doing and how it's a shame that that's not true for all subjects and I was like yeah what can we do that means math teachers can still enjoy doing maths and discovering and learning themselves but in a way which is refreshing and they don't become you know it's very easy to become cynical when you're teaching or very easy to just kind of get on that treadmill mm. and how can we make it so it's it's fun and it's socializing and yet you're probably still finding some resources and lesson ideas you can steal. And so Mass Jam started as people getting together in the pub once a month to just do interesting bits of maths. People would show up, they would share puzzles, they would share investigations, they would be like, oh, I've got this thing I'm working on or I'm stuck on this. And it's not like research mathematics, it's all recreational mathematics. So none of it was like, and there were some academics and PhD students and undergrads, but it wasn't like, here's the proper bit of maths I'm trying to do, it's here's a fun thing that I'm thinking about or working on. And so now, oh goodness, I've lost track. There's well over a hundred different cities in countries all around the world where on the second last Tuesday of the month, people get together in the pub and just do fun recreational mathematics. And we have uh, two annual gatherings. There's one in the UK, there's one in New Zealand. We like to have them equally spaced on <laughs> the surface of the earth. And so, <laughs> as best we can limited by landmass and so that's like a weekend where people get together and everyone gets if they want five minutes to share an interesting bits of maths and that's it that's the whole weekend is just people getting up and saying here's an interesting thing come and talk to me afterwards if you find it interesting as well and I love them because it's a fun social non-student if I can say that so they're in pubs so you're not going to bump into any students. You can't bring <laughs> students. And there are so many, don't get me wrong, I think it's very important to have mass resources for young people of every age and every level of enthusiasm and ability. But sometimes it's nice to have to have a drink in an adult setting and do maths just for you. And so that's, that's why we started Mass Jam. I just think it's just brilliant and a great excuse to just talk about maths in the pub with a glass of wine or a beer or something and just just amazing um right let's sidestep the maths thing slightly here because oh wow you are 
stand-up comedy you know I mean I can't tell you how many times I've watched the spreadsheet sketch or the <laughs> the databases sketch and I just think you know from your bio we we know that you used to write sketches and stuff whilst at uni and I know that teachers whenever I've I've had newly qualified teachers come into the profession you know new to the department there's always that element of becoming that performer, standing at the front of the class, trying to make things a little lighthearted. And, you know, I, I thought I was funny. The students often didn't. But <laughs> you know, yep. you, I get how there is a link here. But how did it come about, like going into stand up, becoming stand up maths? Um, how, how did that happen? It is a performance. And I think all teachers, you know, uh, subconsciously or, or consciously, you, you play the persona of the teacher. And so it's always, a, 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 you're performing, you're, you're putting on a character and there are a surprising number of transferable skills to doing stand-up comedy. So I actually started doing stand-up while I was still teaching. And because of my academic view on life, I did a course, I did an evening course in like the fundamentals of stand-up. Cause originally I was like, I'm just gonna do the course, learn some skills, and then use them in my teaching and in my public speaking. At the time, I was just starting to pick up doing more public speaking. But I loved, love stand-up. And having been a teacher, I kind of hit the ground running. And it's not because, as you say, all mass teachers are hilarious and tell mass jokes. It's because <laughs> a huge amount of when people start doing stand-up is acquiring the skill of being able to talk to an audience while simultaneously monitoring the audience and what they're doing and how engaged they are, and then switching it up based on how the audience are responding to what you're doing. It's basically, if you've been a teacher, you've done untold hours of thinking on your feet, talking to a group of students, keeping an eye on how they're behaving, and then adjusting what you're doing on the fly. And so th those are, incredibly difficult to you can't learn those skills without doing it and most stand-ups have to learn it on the stage in front of a comedy audience having come from teaching you've already learned that you've just got to learn how to be funny <laughs> which is actually the easy bit anyone can do that the hard part the hard I... part is the stagecraft yeah wow so like being a teacher you're halfway there aren't you you're halfway yeah. there to becoming a stand-up halfway there but importantly not the jokes bit right I'm very conscious of time let's I love to give teachers I mean there has been so much that you've given for teachers to to run with and get involved with and and let their students know about but going back to that thought of teachers listening on the way into school today or coming home they've had a bad day and they've got to get up and go again tomorrow what's the one piece of advice that you can give teachers that are going in again today or tomorrow facing hundreds and hundreds of pairs of eyes how can they make today or tomorrow a great one oh my goodness i mean on the very small scale I used to, because I used to, um, I do less now, a lot of training with undergrads who would go in and do placements in schools. And I'd always say to them, half the trick of being a teacher is just convincing the students you want to be there. And it doesn't matter how you feel, or how worn out you are. Don't forget, you're playing the role of the teacher. You've just got to put on that, that happy face and uh, pretend you want to be there. But that's, 
you know, that's a, a, a short temporary solution. And I think the bigger one is what we were saying with Mass Jam is remember why you got into the math game in the first place. And it's so easy to stop doing any kind of learning or maths yourself. And so having, and I'm not saying ruin your work-life balance by doing maths around the clock, but finding the, the reason you got into maths in the first place, the reason you think it's important and keeping that joy alive. And it, that could be through watching YouTube videos about maths and maths related things. It could be about, you know, picking up the Rubik's cube as a hobby. It could be about doing recreational maths um, at Mass Jam or, or something similar to that. But it, it's working out why you keep that spark alive. But that, that's, a, that's a longer, it's not going to help you if you're already on your way to work. I'm very sorry. Um, <laughs> but in, in general, it's, it's keeping the joy alive for yourself. And that makes convincing the students who want to be there a whole lot easier. I think I think it's very helpful if they're on their way. Do you know if if anything else they can get into work and just look up Matt Parker's sketch on spreadsheets? <laughs> oh well, obviously that's that's the ultimate solution. Just oh, have that on loop. Just just put that on, or listen to the podcast while you're in the bath and reinvent those those passions for maths and why we all do what we do. What a great piece of great piece of advice, um, Matt. I'm going to wrap up our chat today I honestly knew it was going to be a great one and I'm so thankful for you sharing some time with me it's been just incredible to talk all things maths education I've had a great time I hope you've had a great time oh too. absolutely my pleasure brilliant I will make sure that I tag um you know your twitter handle in all of our social media posts and and the youtube channel i mean you're nearly at a million subscribers matt we've got to get so that over the over the hill um and you know people can then just track what's coming up get involved in in maths fest go and have a look at the the maths jam things as they start to creep up again but until the next episode of the right angle from matt and i please do take really good care of yourselves <laughs>